Okay, we're going to start this story. It's called Jupiter and the Airfield Ghost. It's from uh, It's a Rum Life, Book 4, Volume 1, Northcote, 1984 to 1998. This story from about 1989. From the very first spring at Northcote in 1984, we'd taken every opportunity to use the quieter country lanes to exercise the horses and enjoy the chance to ride without constant traffic problems. What we did not realise at the time, nor even associate with our location, was the problems we were going to encounter with ghosts. Readers will be aware that horses of all sizes and types have this sixth sense, or even seventh sense, something extra that most humans just cannot normally tune into. Juno, our old original Dales cross mare, had been joined by Hebe here at Northcote, a purebred Dales lady we had bought from an owner at Hebden Bridge. She was more skittish than her owner had left us, to, left us to believe and this fact perhaps helped to cover the greater problem which we were trying to overcome. The wedding hire business was still flourishing and helping our much depleted income, hence a decided investment in Hebe or Ashwood Clare Louisa as her proud papers stated was her official registered Dales Pony breeding name. Old Juno was fast showing her true age and we realised that although her spirit was willing, her flesh was certainly not up to serious, regular work and she could not for much longer be expected to cope with trailing a wedding carriage around to earn her keep and help the family coffers. Now, North yards to the north and extending about two miles to the east and another mile to the north is Spilsby Airfield. And the favourite route we used for exercising the horses meant travelling along the connecting road to the main site. Sandy Lane was just outside our property, turning right and along the old perimeter track to the east. By continuing along this route, the airfield road connected to another lane running back to the village, school lane, and thus giving us a decent circular route of about three miles. It was along this first piece of the perimeter that unaccountable problems just happened as we approached the old administration building. Quite without warning, the horses would set back their ears and try to bolt. On exactly the same spot, no matter whenever we passed day or evening, winter or summer. Even the Shetland ponies took fright at the same spot. Hebe, our newest resident in our small family, was very confused, but initially, as she took fright at some manhole covers or roadside gullies, we did not associate her problems the same as the others. In fact, her behaviour confused us and delayed the realisation that we had a real problem. Jupiter was also used to pull our ride dray for visitor excursions and the final straw for me was when riding him out to exercise one day. He reached the said location on the roadside and suddenly leapt into the air with all four feet as if he'd been stung under the saddle by a swarm of bees. I managed to dismount and calm him while inspecting his saddle. On eventually mounting again he took charge and broke into an instant gallop. I managed to steer him round the next bend, across the stubble field, down across the Lady Wast Beck, by a narrow farm bridge, across the lane, over a gate and into our stable yard. 
He could not get away from that place fast enough. He did not stop even then, and had to lay flat on his neck as he was determined to enter his own stable without stopping. We must have travelled a good two miles at a breakneck speed, which made me very anxious about him taking dray-ride visitors along the same route. The vet was called in, but could find nothing wrong with the horse except anxiety and some distress. There was no alternative circular route to use, so I continued to the regular dray rides using the shy horses Ebony and Sam, who being larger animals had the capacity to cope with more difficult situations. Confrontation Ebony coped without any real problem, just showing some concern at the difficult location. Sam, who was more highly strung, was difficult but just manageable, and it was on a journey with a group of visitors pulled by Sam that we eventually came to grips with our problem. On this particular day, we had a nice mixed group of some 15 folk on the dray, and as I approached the usual spot on the perimeter road, I warned the visitors that we did have a problem here, and the horses would be disturbed for just a short period of time. One of our passengers suddenly told me to stop, and she concentrated hard on something at the side of the road. Then she spoke, You do have a problem here, she said seriously, but it's gone now, and you will have no further trouble, she concluded positively. And indeed, from that very moment, the horse became calm and more relaxed. We travelled that road almost every day with horse and dray and using ridden horses for many years afterwards, and never once did we have any sign of trouble. The horses that arrived at the centre years afterwards never suspected that anything had ever been creating problems. Only Jupiter and Sam could tell the tale of their experiences on the airfield road to their newer companions. I never saw the lady again, but was forever grateful that she was able to take control of our own airfield ghost and make life better for the horses. No other humans ever saw or felt anything to upset them. That's the end of the story, but there are some uh, facts and figures here from Wikipedia about the airfield and incidents at Spilsby Airfield. You might find these interesting. On Easter Monday, April 1944, during the preparation of an operation, a major incident occurred in a fusing shed, while a 1,000-pound, 450-gram bomb was being disarmed. It exploded, causing the death of ten squadron armourers, three of whom were never found, and therefore had no known grave. The force of the explosion also caused damage to some of the airfield's buildings, and even some slight damage in the nearby community. The second accident happened on the 1st of November 1944, during 207 Squadron's daylight departure on sorties. One of the Lancasters, piloted by a frying officer, Arthur Lovelace, swung violently on takeoff. It careered across the airfield, demolishing a Nissan hut before coming to rest among four Halifaxes belonging to 429 Bison Squadron, Royal Canadian Air Force, which had been diverted to Spilsby from the previous night's operation. The result was the loss of Lancaster and three of the Halifaxes by explosion and fire. A fourth Halifax was severely damaged, and it was in this aircraft that the only fatal fatality occurred when its flight engineer started up the engines with the intention of getting clear of the inferno. 
Once again, a number of the airfield's buildings were damaged, with the control tower having a narrow escape. A few days later, on the 11th of November, a further tragedy befell Spilsby Airmen when returning home from an operation. Two Lancasters, one from 44 Squadron, flown by Pilot Officer Gaia, and one from 207 Squadron, received identical landing instructions from the Spilsby Control Tower and collided in the approach tunnel over the village of Breitoft, east of the airfield, killing both crews and scattering debris over a large area. This led to revised approach procedures being implemented with aircraft being allocated specific time slots to prevent overcrowding in the circuit. There we are. I hope you enjoy listening to that little story. There are lots of pictures to go with it. Um... Okay, this is a new ending to all our stories. There's no shop anymore. Since Covid, we decided to allow free access to all our complete books, videos and audio stories. You can access them all via our new website. The address is www.itsarumlife.com The spelling I-T-S-A-R-U-M-L-I-F-E dot com No spaces. It'sarumlife.com There we are. Have a, <laughs> have a good look and thank you for listening.